The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at tntradio.live. You're with Joseph Arthur and his Technicolor Dreamcast on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, with our world having a nervous breakdown on some level every other day or an omni-crisis, as Russell Brand puts it, uh, my next guest is super, super important to uh, to our uh, getting us ready to survive insane times. My friend Brad Skistimus from Five Times August told me about going and playing at this prepper camp that this guy Rick Austin held. And I said, can you get me? rick austin for the show and he said yeah i can put you in touch so rick austin is a radio show host author and an expert survivalist rick has been practicing sustainable living and home building practices for decades he is the author of secret garden of survival which outlines his method for making a camouflage food forest that produces more food than traditional gardening techniques rick is also the author of secret greenhouse of survival how to build the ultimate homestead and prepper greenhouse uh, he's also a nationally recognized speaker on survival preparedness and has been featured on National Geographic's Doomsday Castle, Doomsday Preppers, the documentary film Beyond Off the Grid, as well as in Newsweek, American Survival Guide, Prepper and Shooter. Anyway, he knows his stuff when it comes to being prepared for end times. Rick, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. So how did you get into uh, into this area of expertise? And uh, I guess it's a booming industry. I think more and more people are sort of looking at what could happen if uh, chaos ensues, because it seems like the threat of chaos is upon us all the time these days. Well, um, as you mentioned, I've been doing this for decades. I, I I was prepared and always prepared as minded since I was since I was a kid, since I was a Boy Scout. And uh, that's just always sort of continued on. I lived in New Hampshire for uh, when I for years when I was growing up and uh, you learned how to heat with wood, cook with wood. Um, you'd put your food out in the snow when you lost power for two weeks at a time to keep it cold. So learn how to deal with that kind of stuff. And then I also lived in. Uh, in Orlando, Florida for 20 years and uh, in the hurricane and lightning capital of the world. So um, you learn how to deal with that with that as well. It's just you're dealing with uh, 90 plus degrees and 90 percent humidity. So. So different areas call for different areas of expertise in the realm of preparedness, I suppose, because like I'm in Arizona and that seems like maybe water would be an issue we would have here. Do you oh, have yeah. to think about where you are and get prepared for your specific environment? Um, you do. Uh, when you're in the, the north, you've got to worry about snowstorms, ice storms, that kind of stuff, because you can lose power for two weeks at a time. Um, but uh you know, we, my wife and I moved off grid to our final retreat about 15 years ago. And uh, we picked this area really because of the weather, the people, the resources that were here and uh, the distance from big cities. And uh, I had a friend of mine who was, who was looking where we lived and kind of doing this, this analysis where he wanted to live. And he, um, he was trying to stay away from nuclear power plants and big cities and earthquake zones and all that other sort of stuff. And he says, uh, that's exactly where you live. That's the ideal place. And I said, yeah, there was, there was some thought behind it. So. Hmm. 
So what are the things that people should do if they're sort of just starting their prepper journey? And and what, why do you think um, it has such a bad rap? Like, why do you think people uh, consider those who want to get into prepper stuff to be crazy conspiracy lunatics? You know, um, 120 years ago, it was just called living. I mean, this is the way people lived, you know, um, yeah. and, uh, you know, we've we've become this consumer society back back in the early 1900s. Um, 80 percent of the people grew their own food and they fed the other 20 percent. Uh, these days, 98 percent of the people do not grow their own food and 2 percent feed the rest of us. So we're really upside down there in terms of growing food. I really push that a lot, being able to grow your own food, because look what's happening in the grocery stores. Um, we're seeing a lot less supply of stuff and we're seeing a lot more costs. I think the uh, staples for the over the last two years have gone up like 74%. So just being able to make stuff out of sugar, rice, flour, beans, that kind of stuff has all gone up too. It seems like, you know, in all areas of life, there's this there's this push to subjugate and control human humanity. Um, and so obviously, if people ha have the skill set that you have, they're harder to control because, you know, they're going to control us through desperation and they're trying to, like, push us to eat chemicals and eat all this stuff. What? Do you think much about that? Do you get into conspiracy stuff? Do you do, oh, you, yeah. do you try to psychoanalyze oh, yeah. why this is happening and where do you see it going? Well, Henry Kissinger said a long time ago that um, if you can control oil, you can control nations. But if you can control food, you can control their people. And um, that's that's so true. Uh, you know, we're and and our food is being controlled and manipulated now. Um, part of that's due to the way that we're growing food with mechanized farming and using GMO crops. Um, but, um, it's just, it's just not, we're, we're growing food in ways that are not natural. It's just not the way nature grew things. And, uh, my garden is a permaculture food forest. So I grow food the way nature's grown for millions of years. And just symbiotic relationships between different plants that uh, they both do better together than by themselves. And as a result, on a quarter acre of land, I grow enough food for myself, my wife, and 120 animals that we raise as well. Um, and we're growing in three dimensions. What do you mean three dimensions? Um, for example, a fruit tree starts off small and then it grows up and it grows out and it gets bigger over time um vines grow up on that tree so now you're you've got two crops in uh, one location um likewise around that tree you've got full sun so there are certain plants that like that shade underneath the tree and there's a symbiotic relationship there and around that tree, you've got your berry bushes, blueberries, blackberries, elderberries. And then around that, you've got full sun again. Uh, so you're basically growing in concentric circles, which is the way that uh, nature has grown things for millions of years. And they all work better together than they do by themselves. How did you learn this? I mean, this is just not like I'm from Ohio. I went to public school and I just became a wayward musician. 
I lived in the city. To me, New York was the place to go to. I lived there for 25 years, and lo and behold, COVID happens. And all of a sudden, you know, I never thought about buying a gun or anything like that. It just wasn't in my world, even though my grandfather, you know, my fam- my mom's side of the family came from West Virginia and hunted. And so I wasn't really a stranger completely to nature. But a lot of us are divorced from anything in this realm. So, uh, you know, like, I guess for people like me, what should we do to to prepare and and how did you come to this knowledge i mean you said boy scouts but what do you think drives you in this direction well if if you're talking about food production you know i was when i lived in new hampshire i was kind of a gentleman farmer i had apple orchards and i um i sprayed pesticide every 10 days and after every rain i used fertilizer i used weed killer i planted trees in straight rows one way and straight rows the other way with the branches touching in between. And little did I know that the grass between the plants uh, sucked up the same nutrients that the apple trees needed. And I used all those chemicals and I still had scabby, wormy apples, just like every other apple farmer. And I said, you know, there's got to be a better way. So I just did a lot of research on this whole permaculture thing and how nature's grown things for millions of years and just said, you know, this makes sense. So when we uh, we moved off grid 15 years ago, I said, I'm going to try this. And uh, it was amazingly successful. Why did you decide to move off grid 15 years ago? I mean, it makes sense to do it these days, but 15 years ago, I don't know, maybe I just wasn't red pilled yet or something or aware, but was there already like the sort of threat of impending doom and chaos over our heads then? And I just didn't know about it. Why did you decide to move off grid? Uh, You know, we had planned to do it for years. Uh, We kind of accelerated it a little bit because my wife, we were living in Orlando at the time and uh, it was the sixth most dangerous city in the nation. People don't think about that in Orlando, but when you have sheriff helicopters, flying over your house at night um, with their lights in your backyard uh, and you live in basically a prison where you drive in, you push the button, the car goes in the garage, you push the button again, make sure nobody got behind you, punch in the keypad so you can come in and turn the alarm off, then go in, turn the alarm back on again, and you're basically living in a prison of your own making. So we decided we wanted to to move off grid. Um, We were going to do it over some time but uh, we did it 15 years ago and uh, a big motivator for us was the uh, the 2008 housing crash where uh, you know my wife had a 401k and it was losing $7000 a month and um the only way she could get out of it is quit her job and take the money so we did that paid the penalty and we plowed that into uh, building a house and on this property Right. And then from there, you've started a prepper camp. Is that right? I mean, you and your wife have a prepper camp. Like, is it a once a year thing? And you just teach noobs like me how to do what you do? Yeah, that's basically it. I mean, when my wife and I were on doomsday preppers and, you know, we we kind of went around and were on the speaking circuit. So promoters who weren't preparedness minded people themselves would have us come there because we were a marketing draw. And what we realized is that people wanted to learn stuff. Yeah, they had stuff that they could buy from vendors, but they were really focused on on uh, selling stuff through vendors. So we realized that people wanted to learn how to do these things and how to use that stuff. So we um, we said, you know, we'd like to do an event 
that we would like to go to in an environment where you can actually practice these skills. So um, we came up with this idea and um, 12 years ago, we said, we're going to do it. We started uh, marketing for prepper camp. We found this great campground in the Appalachian mountains. That is the largest campground um, in that region. And um, we started prepper camp in 2014 and we've been doing it 10 years since. And it is the, uh, the largest outdoor preparedness event um, really anywhere. And we have people coming now from uh, every state in the United States, as well as Canada, um, even people as far away as Australia come to Prepper Camp each year. And when they show up, if, if it's like if I showed up at Prepper Camp and was like, hey, Rick, what what's like, what's lesson one? What do you how, What's the sort of. Uh... Yeah, what's the what's the lesson one? What's the I'm trying to think of what the word is for, you know, the book that you're going to learn, but uh, the course, I guess. I mean, how do you start? Where well, does where does it kick off? Well, we have um, 64 classes a day um, for all three days of the event, and we've had instructors who come from all over the world too who are really the experts in their field of study so they teach people everything from how to defend their home and defend themselves to how to grow food and how to raise livestock to uh, putting solar panels on your house so basically every facet of trying to live um, in a homesteading way and off-grid and be self-reliant uh, we teach all of that stuff so people can choose whatever they want to see uh, like I said, there's eight classes an hour and eight locations and uh, eight hours a day. So there's a lot of stuff as as I've been told by uh, by a guy who teaches at our at prepper camp um, who's been to a lot of other places. He says uh, prepper camps like drinking out of fire hose because uh, there's just so much to learn. Do you think preppers like secretly can't wait for chaos to ensue? I mean, if I was spending tons of times prepping, I would have probably sort of be secretly hoping that the world goes insane. So all my efforts pay off. Is that wrong? You know, you're never prepared enough. So we're, you know, I'm not looking for um, a crisis to happen, but if it does happen, we're, we're ready or more ready than most people. And, um, you know, the worst possible scenario could be the grid going down, because if if we lose power, um, then everything stops. If you've got a permanent grid down situation, um, you know, there's no more Internet, no more telephone, no more cell phones, no more computer, no more television, uh, no more podcasts. Um, things stop rolling. There's no more gasoline being pumped. Uh, food stops being delivered, and now you've got a huge crisis. And if you remember what happened um, the two days after Hurricane Katrina, it was a it was a total disaster. And that happening nationwide could be could be a reality. Um, the Department of Defense they war game this whole thing out years ago, and said if that happens in two months, eighty percent of the population will be dead from starvation or people killing each other for resources. And you look at the uh, the folks coming over the border, from the southern border, there's at least 30,000 Chinese military-aged males that have come across the border 
And um, it only took um, 17 or 18 people to uh, bring this country to its knees during 9-11. So um, if I was the Chinese and I was trying to destroy this country, I'd let people I'd let the people that live here kill each other first and then walk in and take it. And um, I think that's kind of what their plan is, because they could just have little cells everywhere. And they've already tested the grid. They've already taken out grid. You may remember when uh, people were shooting at transformers and uh, pieces of the grid were taken down. So um, that's a that's a definite reality. That's a scary reality. That's 80% of the population being dead. It's kind of night of the living dead type scenario, but it, I guess it you is would be absolutely. fine because you probably have ample generators, tons of food. You're in some location that's off the beaten track. I mean, plus you're probably armed to the teeth. I mean, I would be a sitting duck in that situation. I don't know what I would do, but let me uh, try to figure out what I would do right after these words on TNT. Pervoy Morich on TNT Radio. From June 2012, the BBC. Tony Blair, ID cards needed to tackle illegal migrants. Uh, of course, that was 2012. Those ID cards today are is, is digital ID. And uh, Majid Nawaz, among others, he, he says, globalist surrogates pretending to be right, populist right-wing influencers against Muslims and immigration are leading you into a trap. It was these very same globalists who opened our borders as part of their plan after invading multiple countries in your name. And of course, it's the same false flag formula. They're creating the problem intentionally because they have a solution that they want for us. So, you know, they got the solution, which is, you know, dystopia. Uh, and then they figure out, okay, what problems can we create to, to get where we want to go? So we want this algorithm ghetto. How do we get it? Flood in the illegal migrants, get rid of law and order. And the solution is going to be the algorithm ghetto. And we're already seeing signs of that. Pervoy Morich on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. The Light is Britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies. No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles, and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk, and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. The Light Paper. Not for right, just right so far. Thelightpaper.co.uk are we on the air? Am I on the air? You're on the air. On the air 24-7. Your news talk giant. TNT. Back with Super Prepper Rick Austin. That's a, a play on Super Spreader. You're a Super Prepper. Um, talking about the grid going down, that's something you hear about a lot lately, actually. The, the grid is destined to go down. People talk about it's an inevitability. So... The fact that that would be such a catastrophe is insane to think about. It's it is the worst case scenario for sure. I mean, people have prepared for, you know, weather and power outages in their areas. So if you're in Florida and you get a hurricane, then, you know, you may lose power for a couple of days and people That's are nothing. used to that. That's not a couple. That's, that's a couple candles. Hang out. You know, you got to read a book by yep. candlelight. It sucks, but you kind of it's kind of spiritual yep. and you're kind of weirdly glad it happened because it gives you a different perspective. <laughs> that's not what we're talking right. about. Right. 
no, no. We are definitely talking about Walking Dead scenario. Um, and yeah, you got to be able to protect yourself and protect your family. And part of it's just not knowing, not having people know what you have and where you are. Uh, but you've also got to be self-sufficient. And there's a lot of people that are quote unquote preppers that they're still consumers. They still buy stuff and store stuff and they've got all the gadgets and they've got food stored right. or they got seeds stored, but they've never grown anything and produced anything themselves. And the time to learn is not in that grid down situation. Uh, the time to learn is now and uh, most people you just don't know what you don't know and trying to grow food from scratch how do you know the seeds that you have that you saved that you bought are any good that they'll even grow anything um so i encourage people that you know that one of the most important things you're going to need to do is be able to produce their own food uh, because when or if uh this whole thing happens you're going to be able you're going to be able to to feed yourself. You can food storage is only going to last so long, and then you're going to need to replenish it. And you kind of have to think the way that we did, you know, 120 years ago, where everybody canned food, everybody stored stuff. You know, uh, great granddad and great grandma just uh, grew their own food on the farm, and they'd store it to live through to the next harvest for a year, and then you know grow some more. Uh, or if they were smart, they stored two years worth of food because if the next year's harvest wasn't very good because they can't control the weather, um, you know, they would, uh, they'd still survive. Um, we kind of get into that, got to get into that sort of aggregarial mindset. And, and honestly, it's a huge cost savings too. Uh, the average family now is spending um, close to $17,000 a year on food um and it's just going up so if you're growing your own food that's a lot of money you can put into other preparedness type items whether that's weapons or solar panels or anything else out there uh, if you're growing your own food that's money you don't have to spend at the grocery store putting in somebody else's pocket or you can use that money and go to the club no you should probably prepare you <laughs> could. listen rick <laughs> you, could. you can go to the club yeah. with that money <laughs> um you know it's funny you, you mentioned a lot of preppers are still just consumers in disguise that's so true with humanity in general most people like yep. that I, I can imagine it's rife with that because people love to buy stuff it gives them a whole new uh category of stuff to buy guns like you know secret stuff this this that and the other thing they can feel secure doing it and then when push comes to shove you're right they haven't really learned the skill set they they probably have a a good foot up on people that aren't doing that but um yeah the actual nuts and bolts the actual hard work learning how to grow stuff you know that's the stuff that most people don't want to really do their homework what do you think right. about people that live in cities though is there anything they can do because all you're talking about is like yeah you're you guys are set you've learned your skill set you know how to do it you have all the supplies you bought all the toys you didn't take the money to the club you know it's it's great and and you have a garden and everything prepared but what about people that are in the cities are they just sol as they say um um, or is there in a grid down situation do? in a grid down situation they're toast 
Um, they they need to get out of <laughs> there, or they need they need they need to have some sort of retreat to go to, and they need to get out as soon as it happens. Um, and maybe that retreat has has uh, food storage there and means to be able to support themselves. But if you're in big cities, um, it's not going to be or long even before. small, even small cities. Yeah, I mean the water is going to stop flowing the uh the sewer isn't going to work anymore and suddenly you're going to be living in a cesspool where there's no food um and no no water and um in sort of you know survival there's a rule of threes and that you can live three minutes without air three days without water three weeks without food um three hours without shelter if you're in a bad situation but um you know, water is your most important resource. And having that uh, after two days, if you don't have water, you, your brain starts to go and three days you're dead. So you've got to have some source of that. Um, and you can store that to some degree. Um, but there are ways that people can still be prepared in a suburban environment or something like that. They can still grow food. Uh, I've had somebody come up to me, actually several people come up to me after I've done these presentations on my secret garden of survival. And they realize that that um, you know they live in a in a homeowners association and they're not allowed to have gardens because it looks ugly or whatever it is, um, but they can grow fruit trees and nut trees and berry bushes and uh, that's a source of food for them. And um, I also encourage people to get into growing growing and raising rabbits. They take up very little space. They don't make any noise. Uh, you can grow, you can, you can, with, with three girls and one boy, you can produce 90, that's nine zero full grown rabbits in a year. And you can do that all in uh, your garage if you wanted to, and no one would be the wiser. And, and rabbits are the best source of protein. Uh, most, most protein, most meat to bone ratio to fat ratio out there. Um and I got uh, champagne d'argent rabbits. So they're about 12 pound rabbits. They dress out to about 10 pounds, 90 rabbits in a year. That's 900 pounds of meat in the space of somebody's garage. And they never know. Bam. Rick Austin is no friend of Bugs Bunny, ladies and gentlemen. You've heard it here <laughs> first. Bugs Bunny hates Rick Austin so much. <laughs> No, that's interesting. I never thought of that. That's a, that's a trip. You could you could definitely have like a, a a meat farm just in a little garage. Yep, that's crazy mm -hmm. to think about. That's a good idea. I mean, I think a lot of people in cities that that are maybe armed like sort of have a fantasy about what would go down when it goes down. You know what I mean? How often do you? Mm -hmm. um disillusion people how often is disillusionment a part of what you do when people come and say hey rick i got it figured out i got my gun i got three bottles of water in an, in an attic i mean i'm fine what do you, what's that like well my wife this this last prepper camp she did a class on the realities of home of of homesteading and uh you know it's it's not the the pinterest pretty pictures that you see online uh it's 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 work it's work it's a lot of work uh we got 120 animals here on our our little farm and um you know i spend more time dealing with the animals than anything else the garden pretty much takes care of itself all i do is harvest 
my wife's job, unfortunately, is to have to can, preserve, freeze, all that stuff. So I bring in, you know, six to 12 gallons of food every single day, and she's got to figure out some way to to keep it stored. And then when we bring in milk from the the dairy goats, you know, she turns that huge every dairy product you'd normally buy in the store from from cream cheese and cheesecakes to ice cream to uh you know to uh everything that you would you would normally buy um so yeah she she um she did that class and it it's pretty eye-opening what what it really takes and uh she had a lot of pictures to show how difficult it was and you know you've got to deal with stuff when we first first started raising goats and we had our first babies one of the goats had a breech birth you know we were just out of the city and you know we talked to the breeder who we bought them from and she said you've just got to reach in there and pull that baby out whether it comes out alive or not you got to save the mother and my wife and i looked at each other and said uh i'm not going in there and oh um, come on rick you know we just learned to, to grow we up just, we just have to do it <laughs> do you just have to thing. do it you gotta do it <laughs> yeah no yeah so so come yeah on, we've rick, you know, we, prepper superhero we've delivered you breach we've, birth. we've delivered we've delivered uh a lot of babies so yeah but when amazing. we first try, did it just like yeah you just you don't know what yeah. you don't know and and there's just so much that that uh you learn by doing it yeah well you said worst case scenario is the grid going down it certainly sounds like a nightmare and i've never really i guess considered it in this much detail before um yeah it's it's real scary stuff uh but i can think of something even worse than that and that would be some kind of nuclear fallout i mean you know in this day and age of impending world war three i mean what would you do in that case? What would you do if, do you have some kind of, uh, you know, bunker or what? Yeah, it's, um, I mean, the first thing that, that the pioneers built was a root cellar and, um, that's where you store food and it's, it's underground and it's got a constant 55 degree temperature. So it's a great place to store your root crops. And they lived in that while they built the second building which was the barn because they had their priority straight and uh, they they took shelter in that in that building and the last thing they built was was their farmhouse um so yeah we we built a root cellar which you know could also double as a as a nuclear fallout shelter um basically it's a hole in the ground with enough dirt on top of it um and concrete that uh it's impermeable to radiation and we know that because you can take a cell phone in there and you've got no signal whatsoever so hmm. crazy man it's it's really it's really wild so what do you think is the uh I, I saw you you sent me a clip of you on this funny news program where they uh they were there was there was good natured actually they were sort of poking fun at preppers but they did it in a nice way with you i guess yeah you it was sort of it made, was it was made. the daily show on comedy central yeah, yeah. right right yeah so how do you uh deal with that the sort of you, you know the oh you're a prepper you're crazy what what do you think i mean obviously that comes from the fact that maybe on a nefarious level they don't want people empowered to be able to take well, care of themselves true. they want to keep true. people consumers and uh, up for subjugation and control but 
what's your what's your what's your like snap back at that whole thing you know 14 15 years ago the whole prepper thing was people people wouldn't say that they were you know they were kind of closet preppers until they kind of felt you out a little bit and said oh oh you know we're talking about the same kind of stuff uh, today uh, prepping is pretty much mainstream I mean it's just it's just taking care of your family it's not not tinfoil hat stuff um you know granted most people are not nearly as prepared as we are but people are moving in that direction because they know that that uh you know, the law enforcement, uh, the government is not going to come save them when there's a crisis, whether that's just a short term natural disaster or some sort of long term um, crisis like we're talking about. So I think people are people are much more comfortable with it now. And uh, it's it's really becoming kind of mainstream. When the COVID thing happened, when people started masking up, when they started talking about, you know, lockdowns and everything like that, what was your reaction to that? Was that, did you see that as the sort of beginning of the thing you had been preparing for? Um, yeah, we were prepared for it. And um, it's a funny story. My, my wife and I were sitting on a swing and we were probably a month, a month and a half into this whole COVID thing and the lockdowns and that you had to wear masks to go into the store and everything that was happening there. And everybody was in panic mode. And we were just sitting on the swing, looking at the mountains and watching our goats, you know, grazing on the grass in front of us. And my wife turns to me with a smirk on her face and says, you know, we're in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. And, uh, oh yeah, we are, aren't we? we didn't we didn't have to go into town we didn't have to go anywhere we didn't have to do anything we didn't have to go to the grocery store so for us we really didn't miss a beat yeah but did but do you i'm just wondering i guess i'm trying to get your insight on what you think the forecast of the world is do you have i know you don't have a you know uh what do you call it a fortune well, teller with you or anything like that or read read all read all the writings read all the writings from the world economic forum that's where they're going that they're they're telling yeah. you exactly what they want to do they want they want control of the world and the united states of america is the the glowing light on the hill and they've got to take us down before they can take the rest of the world down so um they're working on it they're working on trying to take our freedoms away um but uh yeah i think that's i think that's where they want it to go but i also think that people are waking up and i'm encouraged with the people that are pushing back against all this woke ideology finally um so i don't know people getting angry enough look at look at what's happening to disney's stock um you know look what happened to bud light people are, are voting with their dollars and and they're um they're awake now you got moms for for liberty they're fighting uh the school systems and the you know the woke agenda of the uh um the board of the school boards and that kind of stuff so i i i think people are starting starting to mobilize and you know realize what's going on uh, of course if we have a you know a grid down crisis that's going to stop everything but you know, the World Economic Forum says they want to kill 95% of the population. So there's 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 uh, diseases and vaccines that can do that. Um, there's uh, famine. There's wars. Uh, all of that stuff is 
rearing its ugly head right now. Well, then why don't they just shut the grid down? I mean, that kind of like is a good devil's advocate question, because as you say, if if 80% of the population would die off, if they just shut the grid down, I'm wondering then why are they messing with all this other stuff if, if that's supposedly a depopulation ploy? You know what I mean? Just shut the grid down and, and Bob's your uncle, as they say in England. Um, why aren't they, why haven't they done it yet? I don't know. Um, I'm glad they haven't because it gives us a little more time to prepare, but it could be coming. Yeah, it certainly seems like it could be. Well, one thing that's definitely coming is these words from TNT. We'll be right back. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. As a meteorologist, I look for common threads in the weather. And common threads are absolutely essential when looking at the climate situation. Because you see, it's not really about climate. Let's take a common thread between Al Gore, Dr. Michael Mann, and our infamous climate ambassador, John Kerry. Al Gore, first of all, his father voted against the civil rights movement. Secondly, Al Gore was a state senator in Tennessee. Guess what's in Tennessee? A state park and a giant monument to the founder of the Ku Klux Klan. How come you didn't see that over there? What about Dr. Michael Mann? saying that climate deniers, and I suppose I'm one of them over there, are a threat to children and grandchildren. Very interesting since he supports policies that have reportedly ended the life of 60 million kids before they came out of the womb, three quarters of them people of color. And then of course, there's John Kerry. That's the man who supposedly threw his medals over the fence at the White House and yet we see him show up at these meetings with all his medals, right? What kind of hypocrisy is that? This is a man who wants us to start in the face of record-breaking food production, somehow or the other, get rid of the agriculture so that we can cut CO2 emissions. You see the common thread between all these people? They're all hypocrites. They all follow the same kind of thing that they do with climates. They're sanctimonious know-nothings, and that's exactly what this is about. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. Right, I've got cancer. I've been trying to tell the rest of you, but no one's listening. And I don't just mean you, ears. Eyes, would you look in the damn toilet for once? Hands, roll those sleeves and take a sample. And legs, trot off to the doctor to get me looked at. Because bowel cancer can be successfully treated when detected early. Now look who's finally woken up. Joseph Arthur and his Technicolor Dreamcast on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. So, Rick, one thing talking to you like brings into clear view is your relationship with life. I mean, one of the ways they're going to subjugate and control humanity is to disenfranchise people's relationship with life. You know, when we're you talk about people being consumers, that means they're sort of divorced from the process of life, your whole lifestyle. You know, like you said, you have all these animals, you're you're giving birth to animals and uh, gardening and all that. That's a relationship with God, essentially, um, that's active. Is that how you view it? Has this woken up your spiritual life, this uh, per 
preparedness stuff you do yeah i think uh the more and more i do the more i see god's hand at work and sometimes things are happening in my life that i didn't expect to happen i didn't plan for um but things are kind of moving in ways that uh you could just kind of see his hand at work but yeah um i do feel a lot more spiritual and and you know i and i think it's important because i think what we're fighting here now more than ever is a spiritual war and um it's it's not just just bad people out there 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 are i truly believe there are demons at work and um we're fighting that our battle is with principalities not with flesh and blood i believe that Correct. as well yep. i mean and you know when you talk about like just people who live in the city normal life ordering from amazon watching reruns of friends or whatever internet porn which is weaponized as well and and devalues your experience of life you know think about that in relationship to the life you're describing that you live i mean what kind of blessing is that that you that you have that sort of fundamental connection with the way nature actually operates yeah uh in fact yesterday my wife was saying you know we we just have the perfect life i mean yes stuff happens and you know as as much as i like to plan my day out there's always something that nature throws at me or there's an animal that get hurt or sick or a tree falls down on on one of our fences and we've got to fix it so you know we we're doing a lot of crisis management as time goes on but uh i um i wouldn't give it up for anything in the world and i i had a very consumer oriented lifestyle before we jumped off the grid here i was i was a television producer at universal studios i had all the toys and all the cars and the boats and you know the houses and everything else and um you know it was always who could who could buy the most toys you know whoever whoever bought the most toys won but um it just really wasn't fulfilling and you're spending all your time trying to make money instead of you know living life and uh you know we do that here and as my wife said you know this is the this is the best possible life we could have you know we're we're we are so rich um in terms of you know we've got we've got two homes on the property we've got 55 acres worth of land we've got 120 animals and um we don't owe anyone anything and we don't need to make money to survive that's incredible but i can also like you know so many people are just you know month to month they 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 don't have exactly. the oxygen to get to where you are i mean what you just described you said we're so rich and i think you meant spiritually rich but also right. actually rich i mean that is rich so for people that don't have the means what can they do you know you've you've got to you've got to make some cuts you've got to you've got to think about what your priorities are and um there's a lot that we spend money on again you know even if you're growing food in your backyard that's less food you have to buy from somebody else that money can then be plowed back into you know preparedness or into some sort of homestead uh there's a lot of people who just cash out of the houses that they are in right now and take that money and and move to some place like Tennessee where they can start fresh um 
there are ways to get out of it but but there is you know this debt trap that most people have gotten themselves into and it's really it's really slavery is what it amounts to you're just continually working to pay that debt and you'll never get out of it unless you break away so you're also an author i mean it's interesting that you were a tv producer i mean were you uh, producing shows that we would have heard about I did stuff for Spike TV and and others, yeah, and and um, you know I became kind of the the infomercial king of the uh, the Southeast. Um, so there was there was lots of products that I brought to market, and I eventually became kind of a venture capital guy because most of the inventors that came to me with their products had no idea how to run a company and no idea how to raise capital, no idea how to get something manufactured. They had an idea, they may have had a patent. So, uh, yeah, I, I, um, I had to do all that, but, um, interesting. You were, you were, it's so funny that you were the king of consumerism on some level and then you shift. Exactly. You know, you know, I like, I like to say, um, you know, when I, when I was growing up, my, my father was a plumbing and heating contractor and, you know, he was going to pass down the business to me. And one day when I was standing in a ditch knee deep in human excrement, I said, no way I'm not doing this and I'm going to go to college and I'm going to get a degree and I'm going to get into business. And uh, so I did, and today I spend most of my time shoveling poop. Um, so it just comes back around. Yeah, but when you're doing when you're shoveling the poop for what you're shoveling the poop for, it's right. a different kind of poop. Right. You know what I mean? It right. is a different poop. Yep, exactly. <laughs> it's it's fertilizer. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It becomes it becomes uh, you know, God's clay on some level, but tell me about the writing process you've written a bunch of books on this i mean is it similar to doing doing the camp or is it a whole different thing when you're you're trying to give back i assume i, I assume that there's right. some sort of moral urgency that you have because you you want for nothing so um i i guess you're just trying to pave the way for other people to share in your blessing well when we we first started my wife is is also known as survivor jane and she's got the largest uh the most viewed website preparedness website for women survivorjane.com so she kind of teaches people uh women and men uh to you know how to prepare in kind of the more simple ways so they can just get started um and she does it in a kind of conversational way so you know when she was first getting this whole preparedness thing and i was dragging her into it she she knew that you know she she couldn't understand the lingo and the the acronyms and everything was you know ar-15 and ak-47 and what does all that stuff mean so she had to learn the hard way and she she teaches people how to do that too but we were you know we had been on doomsday preppers we were going around doing the, the circuit i was teaching people how to grow the the garden that i have and people kept saying, you ought to write a book, you know, you really ought to write a book so we could learn how to do this. And fortunately, because this was a huge experiment for me, I took pictures of every step of the way when I set this thing up. And I'm I'm growing food in this permaculture food forest on the side of a mountain, which is pretty much unheard of. And um, so I took pictures and they were all color. 
And I had studied the the egghead books that were 400 pages long, all black and white, and you know pictures of plants that were in black and white and muddy pictures. And I just knew that when I wrote this book, I wanted to write it in a simple way because I'd been in the advertising business and the, and the media business. I knew that people looked at pictures read captions and headlines before they ever read one word of copy. So what I created really was a picture book in color. And even though publishers told me, oh, no one's going to buy it. It's going to be too expensive. I said, it's got to be in color so people can see what this stuff is all about. And um, nine months after I released The Secret Garden of Survival, How to Grow a Camouflage Food Forest, it was the number one book in garden design. And that's not just survival garden design. That's any garden design. So I think people were were turned on by the fact that they didn't have to use fertilizer, weed killer, pesticide. Uh, they didn't have to weed. Uh, and once they got the thing established, it's all um, perennial fruits and nuts. So you don't have to do any watering either once everything's in place and established. So um, I did it really to show people how how we live and how we grow. And that's kind of how we came about doing Prepper Camp too. Uh, you know, we had done social media for a long time and, you know, everybody's asking us how we do this stuff. And so we we did that. I wrote my greenhouse book uh, and wrote my livestock book. Um, and I kind of think outside the box and use unconventional wisdom. But uh, because I was a businessman, I look at everything from a return on investment. You know, it, I, I, I don't have cattle i don't have cows because they require um five two to five uh acres of open pasture per animal or 40 pounds of feet a day to me that's not a very good return on investment instead i've got nigerian dwarf dairy goats which only come up to my knee and three of those girls at any one time will produce a gallon and a half of milk a day so that's plenty of milk for us and everything we need to do and that's kind of how i looked at look at everything here um you know i i, I tell people in my presentations that i'm a cheap sob and you should look at everything from that perspective what's going to get you the best return on your investment just not, not just money but your time and energy because when you're running a homestead uh you don't have a lot of that there's there's way too much to do and not enough time to do it so you've got to make sure that your resources are are being put to work for you and you're not working for the resources that's incredible that's a trip to think about it that way you know return on investment goats versus cows all that i mean the other side that we haven't really spoke much about is the gun side because that's a huge part of it too i mean ammunition guns i mean what kind of what kind of guns are you looking at? Do you have an arsenal? I mean, you got to protect yourself in case an intruder finds you and stuff like that. Well, how much does that factor in? Do you run like, uh, you know, ops and stuff like that in case of a situation? I mean, how does that work? My wife and I do a lot of training together. Um, you know, we go to a range and we, we put ourselves in different scenarios. Um, but I'm, literally training with firearms every single day because I've got 120 animals and we have every predator um, in the Appalachian mountains here. We have, you know, black bear, we have coyotes, we have wolves, we have um, fox. Uh, we've got raccoons, which will eat your chickens and possums. So I do a lot of uh, predator control and, um, you know, you kind of learn by doing that way too. 
Do you think a lot of people come to the prepper camp and they want to talk more about guns or more about gardens or are people pretty balanced as a rule? Well, the reason that we offer all the different classes we have and have all the different diversity of classes is there's something for everybody. You know, there's everything from, from, uh, you know, how to, how to pack a wound, uh, which you could use anytime. Uh, I carry around a medical kit with me all the time because we're on 55 acres here. And if I cut myself with a chainsaw or something, I'm going to bleed out before I can get home. So, you know, I've got a tourniquet with me. I've got those kind of things. Um, but at prepper camp, like I said, we teach 64 classes a day in everything from homesteading stuff to off-grid electricity to how to heat your water, how to build the the, the most efficient house um, to uh, self-defense. And um, I mean, we had a class this year about uh, how to keep from getting kidnapped, which has become a huge issue now. Uh, people and uh, women and children are getting kidnapped in parking lots and sold into the sex trade or you know, used for ransom. Um, so we've, we even had a class on that. So, it, you know, it really we don't have people necessarily register for any particular class. They can go to whatever class they want to at whatever time they want to, and they can learn a myriad of different things. And some people go to different classes every single year. And we try to have at least 20 new classes that are sort of topical for what's going on today. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, um, there's always something new for people. And uh, like I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, you, I, I found out about you through Brad Skistimus of Five Times August, and he told me that he came to your prepper camp to play. So were you a fan of his music, and how did you discover him? How did you meet Brad? Well, it was interesting because my wife and I are children of the 60s. So we we were saying to ourselves, you know, where is the political protest music that we grew up with? What, what happened to all these people? And we see the people that, that were doing it, uh, you know, the Neil Young's of the world that, that have become totally woke and all part of the corporate world and uh, on the take there. And we just said, where are all the, you know, where's the political, what we need is somebody, some people to stand up and say things in a way that are catchy, catchy tunes, great words that jolt people into reality. And we just happened to be looking at TV and going through my YouTube channel one time. And this this video out of your damn mind comes up from five times August. And I'm I'm just my jaws on the floor going this is exactly the kind of thing that you need to do because it's satire and it's using their own words and actions against them to, to show how ridiculous they are. And so I started looking at other stuff that, that Brad was doing. And I, um, I was like, man, this guy is great. And not only is he great doing the video, but he's actually writing the music himself. And so um, I did a little, little, little digging and um I found out who he was and found out how to contact him. And I told Jane, my wife, that uh, I'm going to get him to play at prepper camp next year. And she said, yeah, sure nice. you are. And so I and said, no, I'm going to get him to play. And he and yeah, he did. He played hey, man. two years in a row. Rick, thank you for coming on. Tell everyone where to find you and how they can find prepper camp. 
they can find Prepper Camp at PrepperCamp.com and they can find all my other books and everything at SecretGardenOfSurvival.com. All right, Rick Austin, thank you so much for coming on, man. I feel more prepared talking to you. I'm going to need to come to that Prepper Camp, though. I'm way behind. You're welcome to come. Yep. All right, brother. God bless you. Thank you very much. Keep listening, everybody. We'll be back with more on TNT.